Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right. I really hope you're not getting tired of comic books this summer. You know I never do. And I promise we're not trying to turn this into a modern minorities comic book club, though that would be a pretty rad idea. But after last week's Adrian Tamine episode about his latest film shortcomings based on his 2007 graphic novel of the same name, we got lots of great comments, which reminded me that way back when in 2020, Tomine released his second autobiographical work, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist. Back then, friend of the pod Ryan and I reviewed it in the first year of our not-quite-a-hit podcast, Quarantine Comics. And for the first in what would become a trend, Ryan and I devolved the conversation from just being about the graphic novel itself to how the comic made us reflect on our own life. We can't recommend enough The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tamine, so be sure to pick up a copy wherever you get your favorite books. And don't worry, Sharon and I will be back shortly with more than a few non-comics minority voices for all our majority ears. But I'm not making any promises. Enjoy this chat about Tamine's The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist. Drinking a beer alone on a train speeding to nowhere. Also, creating your own indie comic book. I guess that'd be cool too. Just think about it. You get to pour your observations, not just your beer, about life onto the printed page. Probably shouldn't pour beer on a printed page. You know, you'd get to create a fan following. You'd make some sweet, sweet money. I mean, yeah, we could do that. Or we could create a podcast. Minus the, <laughs> that sweet, sweet money and the and the fan following, I guess. Think about it. You get to go on the road. You get to take your book on tour. You know, you might even become a beloved cover artist for The New Yorker. That sounds pretty sweet as long as they continue paying. Yeah, but then what if your fans were fickle? You found yourself on the road all the time. No one ever showed up to see you. You found yourself couch surfing through your adult years. The critics were harsh and ultimately turned against you. Oh my God, are you talking about this week's book? You know me so well. So this week... We're reading 2020's The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by famed indie artist turned New Yorker cover artist, Adrian Tomine, who I just learned how to pronounce his name correctly. No thanks to YouTube. Hallelujah! The book is a comedic memoir about fandom, fame, and other embarrassments, as someone else said, not me. So The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist is a revealing comic autobiography that shows what happens when a childhood passion turns into a lifelong career, something my dad warned me against. Like the author, despite a seemingly charmed-sounding career, you eventually begin to sympathize and question if it was really all worthwhile. After all, in our own lives, don't we tend to focus on the many awkward, humiliating, disappointing moments that haunt us to this day? Yeah. Well, look, Tommy Day has actually always been one of my favorite, you know, modern illustrated storytellers. And I only discovered him through my wife's like growing stack of New Yorkers, which she is perpetually behind on. His covers just always have this haunting, simple kind of poignant quality. And then I eventually discovered that he actually made comic books. And I obsessively started getting everything of his from the library. And 
what I like is how he can kind of tell stories beyond these snapshots of life depicted. And even though I'm not a famous comic book creator, this book, there was just a lot I could relate to from my own career in life. The cringeworthy honesty it reflected. And he does it with all of his characters in general, but for him to turn the, the camera or the pen on himself was, just, I don't know, really revealing and fascinating. I couldn't put it down. What do you think, Ryan? Adrian Tomine does feel kind of like the master of of cringe when it comes to comics. I don't really know of anyone else who who does it better or who makes you feel the humiliation of the of the narrator or the characters he's depicting. And of course, in Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist, he's depicting himself. And all of the different humiliations he feels from, you know, his days in elementary school to his days as a young cartoonist to his days as a seasoned professional and even as a father. What what I what was actually really striking to me before we got on this podcast is that I kind of flipped through some of Tomine's earlier uh, stuff, some of his stories from Summer Blonde, some of his stories from Killing and Dying. And what I've noticed is that even though that kind of cringe, that sort of moments of personal humiliation are so defined in most of his stories, he's a lot funnier and more lighthearted in the loneliness of the long distance cartoonist. It feels more like he's kind of looking at it from a more adult perspective. And as much as they might sting, he's almost kind of, I don't want to say he's laughing at it, but he doesn't seem as angry about it. And I wish I could kind of pinpoint like a specific example of how that works, but well, no, I, that's, I, my I general, think of- that's my general vibe. Because he's telling his story he gets the last word on it, even if it is self-deprecating humor, like where he cries on his bed at the hotel room. It's just, he gets the last word because he's painting. You're in it for him. When you, if you were going to pick this book up, you care about him as a writer. You wouldn't pick this book. I mean, maybe you'd pick this up book randomly, but you're on his side reading it. We actually, you know what I think it is in his earlier work when something humiliating would happen you wouldn't really know how the character, the character to whom it's happening to, turns out. It kind of ends almost in this moment of humiliation and kind of in their in in their their psychological depths. And here, you know, you kind of know at this point when Adrian Tomini is writing, he's like in his late forties. You know, he's a father of, with two little girls, and he's an extremely successful cartoonist. So whatever humiliation he suffered. As a young cartoonist, you, you know, you know, you already that. know how the story ends, you, you know, know how it turns out. And so there is this element of, OK, I'm fine now and I can kind of laugh at it. And the other thing also is that in a lot of ways, you know, the stakes are kind of lower for him because for him now. And this is sort of I'm referencing the last story when he goes to the hospital and he writes that that really heartfelt note to his his daughters, Daughter. yeah. where he's kind of thinking, you know, he, he's. I don't know if he's thinking whether being a cartoonist was worth it. I think there is an element to which the drive to be that big cartoonist isn't there anymore because he's kind of done it already. And now his focus is really on much more on his family. And so, you know, a lot of that uncertainty based around his career that he might have experienced in the beginning of, and that might have driven some of those early humiliations. You know, it, it again, it kind of creates that sense of, hey, you know, we're over that. This is something that well, happened he, in the past. He has perspective. And again, you yeah. know, you know how the story ends. But I want to touch on that last story. So basically, as Ryan kind of said, at this point in the story, he's 40. He's self-actualized. He has kids. He has a job. He's a published best-selling author. And he feels a pain in his chest. 
and he goes to the emergency room and he kind of has this moment where he's not sure if he's going to live. And in this kind of like self paranoia, he's, they literally have the thought balloons. He starts, you know, writing down a note to his daughters. This could be the last thing I tell them. And there's something in that moment. Cause I, re- I read it like two or three times. It sat with me all week and you, you hear this all the time, right? From other people like Scott Galloway or others. It's like, look, when you're on your deathbed, it is not going to matter that you did one more PowerPoint presentation, that you did one more whatever. All that's going to matter is the people that loved you. And I, that's kind of what I took away from that. He talked about, you know, some of the best moments were just kind of doing the stupid things with you that made it worth it. And literally this week, I'm so fucking staff on this podcast sometimes, but literally this week, I was working at my computer, trying to cram in some work before dinner and putting my daughter to bed. And my daughter's like, hey, dad, come make a sandwich with me out of like these felt food things or come play Legos with me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, fuck this work stuff. I'm going to go play with you. That's more fun. And I don't know. I know that wasn't the takeaway of the book, but it's like the happy ending is that realization. The happy ending is the, yeah, none of this other shit matters. Actually, yeah, I was when I was reading this, I was actually thinking about you because I, you know, you're. I think you're, you're probably a little bit younger than Tomine at this stage, but you know, you have a young daughter, and here he's kind of addressing both his own mortality and, ha- and thinking about how he wants to re- be remembered by his daughters because he's a little bit neurotic, a little bit of a hypochondriac, thinks he might be be you know in, in serious trouble. So yeah, so I, I was actually I was actually thinking about you when I was reading this because I was wondering how you would respond to it because this felt like something that would very 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 well, much the, touch you. <laughs> the best part, and as a newly married man, maybe you'll, you've had this experience yet, but like at the end, he goes home, he doesn't die, and he's sitting on the bed. You know, he comes <laughs> back super late at night, and he just pours his heart out to his wife, and it's just like four pages of just like gut wrenching. Maybe I haven't been as good as a husband, a father. I'm going to change, blah, 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 blah. And the last frame is, hey, are you even awake? Because <laughs> she just slept through the whole damn thing. Actually, and then there's an epilogue, which is great as well, which is 20 minutes later, he can't sleep. So he goes and starts making this book. And I don't know if that's how it really happened. But just that moment of this person that you spend all of your time with, you pour your heart out to them and they've heard it before. They already know your neurosis before you even say it. And she's like, she's like, I'm tired. I'm going back to bed. Adrian so Tomine is a lot more tender or de- he depicts relationships a lot more tenderly now than he, than he oh, yeah. used to. Well, um, and I think, I think, yeah, well, I mean, even when they weren't his own, I, I was just kind of flipping through his last collection, killing and dying. And even there, there's still like those moments of humiliation, those moments of strife and conflict within these relationships. But in the end, they're more like they tend, the, the relationships tend to work. And they're also, there are also these moments of reconciliation that are actually quite sweet. Um, and I actually haven't read, actually, that wasn't his last book. His last book was about, I think, the wedding planning, which I have not read. But I would imagine if you're writing a book about the wedding planning and the, the marriage is still, it continues afterwards. I would imagine it goes, it went okay. I completely forgot um, about that. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, but, but, you know, and then, but then I was kind of like flipping through um, Summer Blonde, that collection. And I forgot what, what, what was the book he did, right? Oh, Shortcomings. And in those books, you know, the relationships between people, and again, those people are younger. They're in their early twenties to late twenties. They don't know quite what they want and they're lonely and they're angry. And those relationships tend to fail due to you know 
some characters, usually some characters self-sabotage, the, the main characters self-sabotage. So it was just it was just interesting to see that transition as he's depicting these relationships in his 20 of characters in their 20s to much more mature relationships where you're seeing people get settled and finding you know kind of help having these moments of self-actualization and you know learning kind of figuring out how to work things out rather than in his earlier work the characters are largely like floundering and angry. I mean to jump back to the there's just some there's just some fantastic moments. I think that's what I love about him, either on a New Yorker cover, capturing a moment, or even the way he he writes scenes is so good. I'm flipping back to like page 10, where, you know, after he's been completely made fun of for liking comic books as a little boy growing up in Fresno, California, mm. and the kid's like, hey, can I sit next to you? What comics do you read? And he just literally lifts all this off like every Marvel title. And he's like, wait. I just opened up. Did the teacher force you to do this? And the kid's like, uh, yeah. And scene. Just the, the cringiness, the relatability. Maybe I'm did reading you have too those? much. Did you have, well, I'm just scared. Did you, did you have these moments when you were, of course, when you were a kid? Of course. I mean, I, I got really good at learning to hide it though. You know, hiding, trying to hide my weirdness very early on. I was kind of interested in Tomine as like just as a cartoonist here, and I, I remember uh, last week when we were talking about Eleanor Davis, and you know we were both kind of freaking out about that story that takes place on a bus with the yeah. hands of God that appear kind of in the middle of it. But I remember just thinking, you know, how I loved how sparse and full, how sparse each panel was, but how and how, even though it was small and very kind of sparsely illustrated, how much story it packed in there in each in each panel. And I feel like Tomine is kind of, you know doing sort of the same thing here like his his storytelling is so effortless you know here it's sort of like there's no not like no you know each line is sort of well thought out there's it's it's infuriating it's infuriating how good he is because even like the, the expressions are so plain and like just small tweaks to someone's eyebrows or mouth oh, yeah and just so much is communicated in so little he's it's like it's so infuriating like how good he is at this like minimalistic style well you know like did you ever did you ever read optic nerve that was his first that was yeah, when I he was just kind of self-publishing and, th and th that was when he was like really young like in his 20s i don't know how old he was but it's just interesting just seeing how like the optic nerve strips almost feel like just kind of scribbles compared to you know how refined he is now and how much he's sort of like mastered his craft you know, it's interesting about that optic nerve. So, uh, you know, like I said, a few years ago, I went on in a Tomini binge and I discovered or re had a recollection of, you know, when I was in college in some magazine, be it Spin or Rolling Stone or some shitty like college fanzine for 20 year olds, there was a cartoon that I tore out and I put up on my wall about this awkward kid meeting a girl and she was into comics, but he didn't work up the nerve to talk to her about it. And then I was going back, and it might have been Optic Nerve. I was reading Optic Nerve. I was like, holy shit, I read this exact strip, and I found it. And uh, so yeah, my exposure to Tomine was when we were both in our 20s, him writing stuff for indie fanzines and me tearing it out and putting it on my college dorm wall. So I just had to say that. Well, okay, so, so, so you've read Tomine pretty much from your 20s to your 40s, which is sort of like that kind of encompasses almost his well, so entire no, career. So, no, I accidentally discovered a... a I accidentally discovered a comic strip of his, not knowing who he was, not caring, just thinking it was some, you know, indie artist who wrote a thing. I tore it out. I put it on my wall for most of college. Then 
fast forward, you know, 10 plus years later, my then girlfriend, now wife is reading the New Yorker and showing me these covers. And I'm like, wow, this is really good. And still not knowing who he was, but you know, after a while you start to recognize the artists from the New Yorker. And I don't know where it was. I think it might've been at some like book uh, street book sale in Brooklyn. Either he was there or there, his book publisher was there with stuff. And I bought a box of postcards of his not realizing there were about comic books. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I got everything of his from the library in one go. Um, so, so two questions there. Yeah. First, what was the comic that you ended up putting on your wall? Do you remember what it was about and why it resonated with you? Yeah, it was a, it was a nerdy kid who sees a girl that's cute. Who oh yeah. Be wearing, that's like, yeah. Who must be wearing a t-shirt. It it's it. And again, what, what he does so well and what I usually hate in comic books is when he shows either literally or just kind of the thought balloons, what's going on inside of the protagonist's head, the internal neuroses mm, yeah. is it almost like escalates the cringeworthiness of everything he does. And it's yeah, relatable. That's, that's actually like what he does so well is showing the character's interiority without really being explicit about it. He, and he's able to suggest it oftentimes with their facial expressions, with just, as you mentioned, I think earlier, just kind of like, you know, a flick of the eyebrow or something like that. And you're right. That is so hard to do because when you think about most superhero comics, the emotions are really, really heightened, right? And there's usually thought balloons or some sort of caption that explains how the character is feeling. And then there's some sort of dramatic shot of you know somebody crying. Um, or a pose. Yeah, and, and and Tomine's like really good at just very subtly suggesting, you know, like a twinge of emotion, or even sometimes like often like like multiple conflicting emotions that's that's kind of going through a character, usually based off of some <laughs> recent fresh humiliation. Yeah, I. It, it's just it, again, it's something we've said before. When when they make it look easy, you know it's not easy. You know it's a craft. And I could be wrong. Maybe it is easy for him. Maybe it's not as intentional, but you can tell it's easy for him, but there's a very intentionality about how pages are laid out, what few details are in there, sound effects, you know, sweat sweat lines, etc. Even it, he talks about that a little when he's instructing kids at his instructing the kids at his kids' school, right? When he's giving them the art lesson. Mm. He's clearly aware of all these mechanics. He's read Scott McCloud or he studied he has studied the craft and gotten better at it. For sure. That's actually kind of one of my favorite things with Tomine, especially in this in this collection, is that sort of disconnect between what he thinks is going is happening versus or what he thinks is happening or what he expects to happen versus what actually happens, which is usually like the polar opposite uh, in terms <laughs> of what he wants. You know, the, yeah. the the cartoonist example being a great one when he goes to his kid's class and says i'm a cartoonist oh like like you know like disney or something it's not no, no, adult cartoons and he kind of gives this great lesson on how to draw but he draws like poop <laughs> and, and then that kind of elicits a and the kids are loving it but that elicits a complaint and he's like okay okay oh yeah a letter gets written to yeah. all of the teachers so good but even when he's like when he's you know a young cartoonist and he's getting an award i mean he's like on frank you know, miller 
Yeah, and he meets Frank, Frank Miller's about to announce him, and Frank Miller doesn't even know what his name is. <laughs> it's it's not as bad as like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where like you have to cringe for five episodes before you start to savor it. And maybe it's just the delivery vehicle of these like the simple line art with these just kind of very plain looking characters. You know, they have well, expressions. Yeah. I, I don't cringe as hard when I read this, maybe because because you are removed from it, and and that's that's the you can move to the next panel very quickly and find out what happens next. Well, yeah, that, that's definitely true. You can kind of like pace yourself. Like, you ever watch Peep Show? No, it's a British comedy. It's about two really horrible roommates. I highly recommend it, but to me, that is like the epitome of of cringe humor. Because there were actually times when I would actually hit pause. And just have to kind of like wait it out because something horrible I know is going to happen. And I feel like, you know, with comics, obviously you can you can kind of just stop reading for a little bit. I mean, that's essentially the equivalent of, of hitting pause. But, you know, I think also, you know, in this collection in particular, a lot of the humiliations that happen are so, what's the word? They're so compacted, I suppose, because each strip, it's only about, you know, two or three, four pages. They don't go on for that long versus yeah. stuff like Summer Blonde or even like Shortcomings, right? I mean, Shortcomings is a whole graphic novel. So you're just kind of exposed to, you know, one <laughs> thing after another in quick succession for these guys. And you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, man, this is getting worse and worse. You don't kind of have that, that sort of that buildup where you just, just that feeling of dread. As the story gets drawn out, it's a lot more compact. And because it's a lot more compact, it almost feels a lot more comedic, especially as we mentioned earlier. We know how Tomine ultimately ended up, that he is an ultra successful uh, cartoonist. Who gets to make books like this. And, you know, it's worth saying some of his humiliations as we kind of go through these stories, they're with his idols. (laughs) Like Frank Miller can't pronounce his name. Neil Gaiman, he, you know... People are like, wait, you're not Neil Gaiman? Terry Gross. Um, like just, and there, I can't remember the name of the older artist who comes over and thinks he's just kind of like the computer technician. <laughs> like I, 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 so I think it's, I think it's Terry Zweigoff, the director. I think it doesn't look like him, but I was, you can actually, so a lot of these characters uh, who accumulate him, they're kind of, they're blacked out, but you can, I think he kind of blacked it out afterwards because you can kind of read through the lines sometimes so i was trying to figure out who this guy was so you know in this episode in this issue in this sequence where somebody comes over thinks adrian adrian tomine is hanging out with his cartoonist friends this guy thinks he's tech support i think it's terry zweigoff who is a director who he directed crumb the yeah autobiography of of r crumb and then he or the documentary about r crumb and then he's the guy who directed ghost world by dan klaus but but it's Uh, just this idea of his job is so sweet. He gets to meet all of his idols and rub elbows with them. And they think he's tech support. <laughs> like just. How often do you have imposter syndrome? Do you get it um, still? Yeah. I mean, I, yes and no. I, here's what I'd say. It, it's, it's the imposter syndrome. It's the keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality, wanting to be something that you're not. And it's a daily practice, maybe not a daily anymore, but a monthly practice that I have to take myself out of it and say, yeah, I actually don't give a shit about it. And that's why the final note with his daughter just really resonated. At the end of the day, this other shit just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, all that matters is putting your head down, doing the work, but then also putting your head up and getting out of the work, if that makes sense. Like, 
I don't mm. need to make all the money in the world. I don't need to win an award. I don't blah, 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 blah. I can put myself into the things that I care the most about. I mean, honestly, this podcast, it's one of those things. Like we realized, what was it? Uh, about a month ago when we were working on the next episodes that we want to do, it was like, wow, we put our head down and did 25 of these. And maybe no one other than Auntie Pinky, hi, Auntie Pinky, is listening <laughs> But it doesn't matter because we made something that we're proud of that we like. And I had a good time with my friend. Like this, it's so funny about this work project. This isn't a PowerPoint. 20 years from now, we'll be like, oh yeah, there was that year or two where my buddy Ryan and I, we just talked about comics every week. And here we literally have a body of work from it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, you, you mentioned, you know, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need an award. But I just, you know, put it out there. It would be nice to have both. Not going to complain if it happens. I also want to say, you know. Would you, you rather have money from this podcast or would you rather win an award for this podcast? Uh, money. Because <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want to be rich, <laughs> not, rich, rich, not famous, right? I don't care about fame. I mean, the, the, the worst thing, you know, fame is, oh, no, I would imagine it would be awful because like, then you can't, then you have to, you know, we live in this world where everyone's monitoring you 24 seven. You say the wrong thing. You have to spend the next 48 hours eating shit and apologizing. No, I'd rather just be like rich and anonymous. I want to flip the career question on you. You're a guy who writes and wants to draw for a living. And that, you know, to sell books and to make money from art, you kind of have to have fame, don't you? Yeah. Um, just talking to a lot of my friends who were, you know, putting their books out, you know, there was a lot of questions of, well, do you have a platform? So they expect the author to come in with some sort of fan following before they're willing to take a, a bet on you. I, 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 you know, I think that's kind of horrible. I mean, I understand that that's the way it is today, but it's sort of like a horrible situation because for a lot of people, their goal isn't to be a marketer, you know, but you kind of have to, build to be a brand. one. Yeah, right. You literally have to be one. And I kind of, I kind of hate the situation we're in right now where everyone has to be a brand. Everyone, I just, you know what? We have too many goddamn brands out there. I just, you know, pe wish people would, you know, Shut the hell up for a little bit, says the guy who has a podcast. <laughs> well, no, but no, but you know, it's, it is and it isn't like, to me, it's about do the work, prove that you can do the work. So, you know, I'm working with our friend Chris Walker on a comic book company right now as a freelance gig. And all that matters at the end of the day, and we've been having this conversation with investors and brands and sponsors is none of that matters. I keep telling us like, let's, we got to make the book, make sure the book is good and get it out because then it's we can prove to the world and I'm like we're obsessing over the quality of the product before we print it or put it up on amazon because this thing might catch fire later but it's like let's do the best we can to make the product as good as it is and once the product's done yeah throw on all the other marketing and sales but if you have all marketing you're all you're all style and not substance and even with this podcast like you know we have a routine where we, you know, select books. We think about it a little. We write some stupid copy and we devolve the conversation to something else, right? About society yeah. or ourselves, but we're doing the work. And again, I kind of don't, with this one, because I like reading comics, and I like talking to you. I don't care with this one. I really don't. We're not going to change the world, but if someone wants to hear about Tom Tomine and what he means to us, here's a pretty good piece of work. Actually, this one's pretty much hot garbage. <laughs> it's devolved. <laughs>
Well, I've, no, I just, you know, you, you were talking about the product being the best it can be. That's the other thing. I think like a lot of people who write or draw, I mean, there are people out there who view their work as a product, but there are a lot of people who don't. And they, they kind of like, you know, they kind of torture themselves over it. They don't think of it as something that they obviously want readers, but they don't think of it as a product to be marketed. There's, you know, when I was, I used to, you know, freelance for, for Publishers Weekly and I would write, you know, features for about the publishing world. And what struck me is that the writers who made a living doing what, you know, just writing fiction or whatever for a living, which is really hard to do, they actually did view their work as a product. They viewed themselves as marketers, as 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 businessmen and businesswomen, you know, knowing that they had to keep the fan following interested and had to pump out a book every month. And because of that, you know, I think they, they did tend to view it as like, I got to put this thing out. I got to put this thing out. I got to keep people happy. I got to keep people happy. And that's one way of approaching, you know, writing. And on the other hand, you've got to have the stereotypical tortured artist who's doing it because they've got something to say. And this is, you know, the way that they communicate. But the flip side is they're not going to be particularly prolific, usually. So yeah, that's what you know- we all we can't all be Neil Gaiman, <laughs> you know. It's a spectrum, right? And then there are the people who can kind of really, kind of put out really interesting artistic work, unusual stuff, at a very, very frequent basis. I mean, like Neil Gaiman, you know, kind of being one of them. I mean, so it's a spectrum, I think. Yeah, but for the rest of us, it's this is going to sound terrible. It's a numbers game. It's the kind of classic ten thousand hours thing. So it's maybe only ten percent of your work is going to be good. But if you only make 10 things, that means only 1% one thing is going to be good. But if you make 100 things, 10 things are going to be good. That takes a lot more work and you got to put a lot more garbage out there, but you'll have 10 good things versus one. I wonder how much of all that we're going to cut out. It got I got I very... don't think well I mean if if left up to you you'll cut the whole thing. If me I'll just, <laughs> you know, I'll trim it. I, I that's this this past conversation for the last 5 minutes is like the good stuff 20 years from now. Maybe not for maybe not for the review of Tomine, but here's what I would say. If you want to cr- comfortably cringe, you should read this book. <laughs> or you should read any of his works. And chances are, Andy Pinky, you've seen his work if you read The New Yorker. And I know you do read The New Yorker. I'm guessing. You seem like Oh, Andy Pinky's the one who introduced me to Adrian Tomine. She's the one who got me uh, optic nerve. So until then, if you've got a recommendation, commendation, or complaint, be sure to email us at qtdcomics at gmail.com thanks for listening and that's our show like what you heard please subscribe leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform now more than ever people need to be hearing these stories please share our show with a friend or three want to learn more or got something to share visit modmypod.com or email us hi mom at modmypod.com you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at modminpod we'd love to hear from you that's it for now I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.